So while I was waiting for you, yes. um, I, was, I was sitting in the uh, I was sitting in the lobby here at Casa Del McNeil and I was <laughs> I had my bag and I had that bottle of water. Yeah. But I, I thought anybody who's looking at me, maybe I'm wondering if they think that I'm just like sitting there cradling a bottle of moonshine. Just moonshine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's not a restaurant, so people aren't used to seeing somebody like walk around with a glass bottle of water. Nope. I'm, I'm thinking they were they were thinking I was sitting there with homemade hooch. <laughs> Just, you should have been squinting at them. Ah, I'm going blind. I should have like like drawn three little X's on the bottle. <laughs> yeah, Actually, you know what? Great. I think I still am going to do that. You should. I really should. The perceptions of an innocuous bottle of clear liquid. <laughs> 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 Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil, Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 187 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective once upon a time dear listeners there was a podcast called the do-over it was epic it is epic it continues to be epic where roving tables of cinema enthusiasts would come gather drink and argue at great length about the greatest films ever like full stop the greatest films mostly of our generation because the the show was 1970 forward uh but ever i would i would say and um and it was a wonderful thing and it continues to be a wonderful thing and we miss it um it, it has uh it has been shuttered for all kinds of reasons but it lives on in the internet and uh, I, I i must admit i go back there uh often and uh check in on my friends and listen to things that i said and think to myself how stupid were you that you said this or that you didn't say this um and uh i'm honored today that uh in this late november we get another little dose of of something do-over-esque because our guest today is a man who needs no introduction even though I just gave him a long one. Um, Jamie Dew is here. How are you, Jamie Dew? I am. Wow. I mean, even if I was uh, doing poorly, I think after that introduction, like <laughs> uh, my, my my back is straightened right up. I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty darn good. I mean, like, it was it was the only show. Like I, I usually do a lot of guest spots on other people's show, and, and that year uh, that your your show was going full tilt. Uh, like you were recording like three episodes a weekend, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was like the only show I did. I was like, this is I, I I'm loving this. I get to go in person. <laughs> I get to see people. Um, no, no, that was that was something wonderful. That that uh, you know that, that that'll be uh, that'll that'll be in the in the in the epigraph for sure of you know man, father, wow. husband, podcasting Toronto legend. <laughs> wow. Um, well, let me say two things really briefly. Okay. The, the first one is we want to make sure that everybody knows we're talking about the DEW. Yes. Over. Um, I learned that uh, throughout doing press and promotion for that. Oh, really? Um, for that podcast. I would always just say the do-over. And Erin, who was also a frequent uh, panelist, one day she said to me, she said, you know, you never tell people the way it's spelled. And uh, the <laughs> convention of, of, of that phrase, the do-over, most people are going to be looking at D-O. Right, and it's right. like you are absolutely right. No, DEW so, people, absolutely. And the second one is, if I may be cryptic for a moment, stay tuned. Ooh, yeah, I like this. Yeah. Very, very good. Okay, cryptic away. Um, we're uh, we're doing something a little different today. We're talking about a film um, that may affect my listenership somewhat because it's uh, it's mostly a Canadian presence, but I. I will do a lot of research um, on where uh, international viewers and American viewers can find the uh, the film that we're about to talk about because I do think it is a film worth seeing and a story worth knowing if you don't know it already. 
on episode 187, we are going to be talking about a documentary called Long Time Running. Um, we will flip the record over to play the other side. But first, of course, we need to learn more about Mr. Do. This is Know Your Enemy. Jamie Dew first appeared on episode 123, a whopping three years ago, where we, time flies, man, where we talked about Interstellar. Um, the first, we learned on that episode that the first film he'd seen in a theater was Star Trek The Motion Picture, uh, the one from the late 70s with uh, Bill Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. Uh, the last film he'd seen at the time was An Unmarried Woman, uh, probably due over prep, I'm sure. The worst film he claimed to come to mind, especially in do-over uh, lore, was The Dresser. The unseen classic or essential was many, but at the time was Gone with the Wind, which I imagine you've seen by now. I have not. Really? Yeah. It's been three years, dude. I had it. Uh, I was supposed to go to, um, uh, I think the Royal was playing it. Yeah. And I was supposed to go, but it was, uh, it turned out um, I had a, a, a sickness in the family and I had to go. Oh, yeah. no. Because okay. I, I really want to see it in the theater. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still say what I said then, which is see it and just prepare yourself because context is going to be key. But I, I do think it is something that needs to be seen. Um, certainly because there's a lot to discuss. Uh, and the film he'd wish he'd made was Rushmore uh, by Wes Anderson. Time for round two. Jamie, what is the film you like that seemingly nobody else does? I'm going to tell you that that film uh, is enjoyed by me through a couple different things. I'm sure you get this as, as a response often. There's like a contextual reason as mm. well. And the movie is Superman 3, which is, um, <laughs> which is you know, pretty widely maligned. Yeah. Uh, it should, I mean, coming off of Superman 2, I, I mean, you had... It was the Superman franchise. That was that was a big deal. You had Richard Pryor in it. Yeah. Um, gosh, I forget the name of the, uh, the villain. Um... Richard Vaughn is the Richard actor, Vaughn. Ross oh Webster, a villainous Absolutely. multimillionaire. Yes. And of course, you know, there's like the computery stuff in yeah. it where Richard Pryor discovers that he can be cheating the system a little bit. Listen, I saw this movie with my father, and uh, I saw a lot of movies as a kid with my father in the summertime. And, um, you know, it's much more meaningful now that he is gone. But I will always remember his little lesson to me on the way home. Um, there's a, a scene in the movie where the, the supercomputer actually uh, envelops, like actually takes the brainy secretary that you were just talking about. It used about. to scare me as a kid. It is very frightening. Yeah. It, and she becomes sort of like this um, avatar for, yeah. the, for the entire computer, and she is very frightening. On the way home, my father and I are discussing this movie. I must have been seven, eight years old. And my father made sure to tell me that uh, if you're ever repairing a television, um, make sure you're very careful around it because they carry electricity in the tubes even after, you know, they've been broken for years or right. unplugged and you can get electrocuted. Huh. And, and, that's <laughs> and I don't know why, how, how he made that leap. Yeah, yeah. From her being, like me, confessing to him, oh my God, this was the scariest thing ever. Yeah. To like, yeah, I'm going to scare you even more. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know watch when I mean? you're doing this. <laughs> right? Oh, man. And, like, I mean, and like the thing I love about that story is that's also back in the day when people would repair their TVs. Abs of course. Right? Yes. Like would open them up and, and, and futz around back there. My little versus... town of, th of 3,000 people had like four places you could go to get your television repaired. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not like, ah, we're just going to recycle this 
this. We're gonna go get a new one now. Absolutely. Um, Superman, it's it's funny. Superman three. That was that was the, actually the one that I watched the most okay. as a kid. He's my character. Yeah. Um, so he was he was the guy. Like I watched the cartoons a lot. I didn't watch number one very much. I didn't watch number two very much. I watched number three a lot because I think that was one that we had. You're a prior guy. No, no. I, yeah, I, I wish I was. But it was, you know what it was? We had um, we had had one of these things where we hooked up two VCRs and we'd rented number three uh-huh. and we duped it. Yep. So we had a, a duped VHS of that one in the house and I watched it over and over and over. There's of lo- lots of that in my head. And it's you're right. It's not very good. No. Objectively, <laughs> As, uh, it's not. Is, I wrote down the Rotten Tomatoes. Twenty six percent. Of course. Yeah. That, that yeah. That, that's when it all starts to kind of. Of, like take a dive yeah um and, it, and it's again it's really amusing to me that we're talking about this on the weekend that justice leagues arrives right but um but but it's yeah it's a movie that certainly if you're of a certain age if you have memories of watching that with family it would really endear itself and i mean i was also like you i was a superman guy so for me uh, i didn't have uh i've always been a pop you know a populist when it comes to movies yeah um but this was a Superman movie. I wasn't mm. going to be critical of it. Like, especially as, again, as a seven, seven or eight year old. Yeah, like, yeah. I just enjoyed it. I got, yeah. you know, two hours of Superman. Right? Yeah, exactly. No, cool. no, totally. I mean, and, that, and that's the one that starts with the long uh, uh, physical joke sequence. Like, this this weird little, um, like, Buster Keaton-esque sequence of, of accidents that I think Clark sets off or Richard Pryor sets off. Like, the entire opening credits is one long tumble gag of unfortunate events wow okay yeah well you do yeah, so will, it's time for you to re- yeah at least rewatch that the yeah. rest of it eh, but at least rewatch that okay superman uh, 3 i think i'm gonna need that i think i'm gonna need to rewatch that yeah nice. uh what is a film conversely that everybody else digs that you don't really dig well this movie has 81 percent around tomatoes okay but i don't know if it's as uh well light as maybe i think it is um there's a lot of people that i hang out with that love this movie and when i was living in LA years ago my roommate down there was very much like you have to watch this movie so I don't know whether I hate it because you know he set it up so like all summer long he was like we got to watch this we got to watch it and then finally we watched it and I was like yeah, absolutely and that's the big Lebowski yeah okay okay and again even though it's 81 I know there are other people that I don't know whether your reaction there was like, oh, you're a fool, or whether you're sort of like, yeah, I sort of agree with you. No, I'm, I'm somewhere in between. Okay. Um, the Lebowski is kind of peak Coen's for me. Okay. It, it, that is a capital C Coen Brothers movie. And we forget this because now they've been on the scene for like 25 years, and they're Oscar award-winning filmmakers, yes. and you know they've done stuff like No Country for Old Men. Um, but their brand of humor is really, really specific. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it for the longest time. Like when when Fargo was pitched to me as a black comedy, I'm like, I, I don't understand. But I'm like, I don't understand what you're laughing at. So their brand of kook uh, is on full display. Absolutely. It's they they kind of do this every time they they release something that is critically hailed they have a tendency to come back with something that's really screwy so that was the one that followed fargo if you look at no country for old men that was followed that by followed fargo? yeah yeah right? see what i'm saying well, you know, lebowski was much earlier no that. no lebowski oh, okay. was like 98 and it was and it was really really ah. or, or even 97 um and it was and it was yeah it's it's really it's it's First of all, it, it's like you said; it's definitely adored 
by a certain oh, yeah. sector of film goers, not even film goers, it's just kind of adored by a yeah. certain subculture. Um, and quoted Cult classic for often, sure, right? There are, yeah, yeah. There are people who can quote the whole damn movie. Yeah. Um, and it's and and it's one of these ones that it's like if it's not funny, if it's not landing for you, then it just gets annoying. It, it becomes tedious. I go through that a here's, lot. Here's what I've learned with Coen Brothers. Yeah, where are you on Raising Arizona? Uh, I saw it late, and I okay. dig it. Okay. I need to rewatch that. That's a big rewatch for me, for this theory of mine, okay. to, to pan out. Sure. My theory is, I don't like their comedies. Right. I love their non-comedies. Their okay. movies that are not comedies, I find funny and dark and moving and, you know, everything else. But their comedies, like, I walk into a Coen Brothers movie... That's supposed to be a comedy. I rarely laugh. Yeah, and I want to punch people in the theater that are laughing. <laughs> you know, like, you're not the type of person that I want to hang out with very much, it's, or whatever. It's so annoying. Like I go, I'm going through that right now because I, I got the trailer for it again last night. I really wonder if I should even bother going to see the Disaster Artist. Okay. The Seth Rogen, James Franco, Danny McBride pack of <laughs> yeah. comedians, yeah. they don't do it for me. Really? I no. I'll laugh like one time in a movie and I'm like, oh, the rest of the time I'm like, <sighs> <laughs> so I, I, I totally get that whole thing of, of, you know, a comedy that doesn't do it for you. And, and yeah, Lebowski is one that everybody talks about. Yeah. I am resisting slightly. It's a bit of an urge. I like it now. It's one of those ones I can just put, because it's so talky, I can put it on and do other things. I should, I've seen it twice. I should give it another spin. Maybe I should do Arizona on that on the same day uh, and just give it a go. Because Arizona is one that I think I saw like way back when. Right. And I don't think that I disliked it. Um, but it just didn't make an impression. But I know that that movie is wildly hailed yeah. like by, by oh, yeah. funny people and non-funny people alike as a very funny movie. So yeah. I think it'll probably collapse my theory, but nevertheless. We'll see. We'll you know. see. What was a recent movie to make you cry? Um, <laughs> well, the most recent one would be uh, at TIFF when I saw A Long Time Running. Okay. Um, Besides that, because we're going to yes, talk about that a lot. Absolutely. So I have my backup here. Okay. And um, prior to that, it was not, again, because the movie, but contextually, my father had passed and my mother and I went to see a movie and we went and saw Silver Linings Playbook. And there's a lot of Christmassy stuff in that movie, mm-hmm. and that really nudged at my heartstrings, and, and I was, like, keeping it together. And then at one moment, I looked over, gosh, what song is playing? Um, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is playing, yeah. which is a, just a tear-jerking song to begin with, right? Yeah. And I looked to my uh, right, and my mother is just sobbing, and at that point, I was like, what am I holding in for? Right? <laughs> we both just sort of, you know, but again, it really had... Um, well, I, you know that 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 song. Whoever whoever chose to put that song in that in that space, mm-hmm. well done. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. In the several times that I've asked that question, um, more often than not, people are actually talking about the movie, but they don't. You're right. The context itself can do it. I'm I'm, I'm genuinely surprised that it really hasn't gone there uh, in the course of this show because I know people. Will just if they're having just like a really 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 rough time, they will put on a movie that they know will make them cry and just get it out. You know, um, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about the moment within the movie and kind of what it made them think of, but I haven't heard some haven't heard somebody talk about either being in that uh, moment or the moment that I described of just trying to get something out of their system and 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 basically triggering it yeah. within themselves. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, you know, I, I've gone through that a lot. 
over the last uh, year, uh, even just <laughs> I, I take a drink, people. Even in Justice League, right? There, there, there was a moment where things going on within my own head were just tapped on the screen, like not even really explained or talked about or anything, but just like and on they move, and and that, and that would do it. And, it, and it's and it's funny because maybe it's because you're sitting there in the dark and you yeah. can't escape it, and it's like right in front of you. You know, yeah. that, that, that that's kind of why it's just like so overwhelming yeah. and brings out all these things. That's a good, and, and yeah, like, and you, you, it really throws you off when it's not in a, in a piece of work that you expect it from. Totally. You know? Let me, let me plug a movie that not a lot of people saw. Sure. That had, had the same experience. I saw it around the same time, but technically I saw it before I saw several lines playbook. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be the most recent was, uh, the David Chase movie. Um, uh, not fade away. Oh yeah, which is yeah a spectacular movie. It's James Gandolfini, and uh, it 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 is a good film, I think. And I don't think it got enough love at the time it came out in January. I'm sure um, it was made, you know, for an Oscar push. It mm-hmm. didn't it didn't quite get so it came out. You know, it was one of those January movies. Or, yeah, right. Like um, great movie. Saw it in the theater alone. That movie, the 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 context and the content both mm-hmm. really got me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Good answer. In the movie of your life, who plays you? I would love Bill Murray to play me. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if I had a, an opportunity, I look nothing like Bill Murray, nor does he look anything like me. Um, I love his story. I love what he brings to roles. I love the Bill Murrayness mm-hmm. of what he brings to roles. Uh, he can make you forget he's Bill Murray, but at the same time, you're like, that's totally Bill Murray. Right. Um, I'm cheating here again. I would just love the opportunity. It, you know, if he had any modicum of method in him at all, if he wanted to like spend a day with me, you right. know, that would just be a great cheat to spend a day with Bill Murray. Okay. Cause he is certainly one of my absolute um, heroes. Do you, do you cling to a particular vintage of Murray? Do you prefer early like stripes Murray or post Wes Anderson Murray? I, gosh, I think like most of us, I think we all fell back in love with him, you know, sort of like Travolta with, with Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah. And that sort of ended after that, I suppose. But, um, you know, Wes Anderson really did. They they, they did good work together. Mm-hmm. They did great, great work together. And I think a lot of people had that sort of resurgence and then leading into the Sofia Coppola stuff. But his, his, his stuff on SNL, listen, uh, in 1974, Lauren Michaels created Saturday Night Live, and one of the first people he cast was Chevy Chase. Yeah. Uh, Lauren and Chevy were tight. They were buddies. you know. And then the rest of the cast had been working at Second City, um, independent of Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase decides to leave. He gets replaced by Bill Murray. Those are big shoes to fill. Yeah. Those are giant shoes to fill because Chevy Chase became a superstar coming out of that first season of SNL and Murray was expected to, um, you know, take over. So I would say right from that point on, Mm -hmm. I just appreciate the heck of what he does. I love every time he's on David Letterman, Mm -hmm. uh, starting back with the NBC show in the eighties. He, he is just, you know, you're going to laugh once or twice. He, He just throws it all to the wall and, I don't know that I have, you know, the sort of life that that requires that sort of a vim, but man, I love it. Do, do you know, like the the Bill Murray line that I always love the most, and, and it's like it's so not PC anymore, but I really do adore it. <laughs> is in Stripes when they're like applying to go into the army, and uh, the recruiter is like, "Is either of you man homosexual?" And he goes, 
do we go somewhere special if we are? <laughs> it's like, you know, after a smirk, too, you know? Um, uh, okay, that's, that's a very good answer. And yeah, like, I, I, like, he shares an ethos, I think, for sure. Um, finally, what's the film that you're watching next? Uh, Monday or Tuesday, I'm going to go watch... Um a movie that I really tried to get into at TIFF, and I couldn't, I just couldn't make it work in my schedule, but is uh, Three Billboards. I went to see that last night, and yeah. uh, I, I won't uh, espouse too much of it, because for starters, it actually might be the next podcast, uh, but um, believe the hype. It's, oh, um, uh, it's a surprisingly complicated script. I, th- I think that was what I loved the most, was I was really expecting something far more straight and narrow yeah. than this movie turns into. And it's it, it's we talk about how real people are not shown on screen and complicated stories are not told on screen and small town stories yeah. are not told on screen. This is all of that. Um, this is the, it's just, yeah, like when you're watching that story, just, don't let go. Don't don't zone out. Don't just. It, it's it's a perfect movie for a theater because it really demands focus, and everybody has a lot going on. So I will. Uh, we will definitely talk after you see that. And um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm really happy uh, that it's it's getting the love that it is. I was I was actually I was prepared to be underwhelmed. Like a lot of a lot of times when a film gets a little bit too talked up, if I'm on the wrong side of the yeah. the hype cycle, I'm like. Yeah, you kind of you kind of oversold that. I, I sort of went through that with La La Land a little bit last year, um, but this is not. This is not that. This is a film. Correct me if I'm wrong. They got the the sash at TIFF, didn't they? they did. This year? Yeah. yeah, they got they got the uh, the um, People's Choice Award, yeah. which uh, I, I thought I was like, really? Oh, okay, sure. Um, they had some other films that I thought were going to do a little bit better, but um, I see why. I really hey, listen. The People's it's, Choice it's, Award is, is is pretty cool to win in that case because, I mean, it's not it's not a fair award necessarily because there are some screenings that have, um, or some films that have more screenings and three billboards did. Well, this is had like, this comes courtesy of our friend Matthew Brown oh, who okay, nowadays works for TIFF. It's a weighted algorithm. Oh, okay. So it goes on the percentage of the house. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Right. But, uh, there we go. Yeah. I didn't know that going into I was into like, there was, I think there was only two screenings of it that weren't uh, press screenings. Yeah, no, it no, just it, could it's, not it's, it's work. So, no, good good job, TIFF people. Uh, this is that, that is a worthy movie, and I will be curious to talk to you after that movie and probably after the next podcast, because as I say, I think that is going to be what we talk about next. But we are getting ahead of ourselves because we have a movie to discuss today. Come on yes. back here after this for the new slang. It's long time running right after this quick break. Long Time Running is a documentary directed by Jennifer Bakewell and Nicholas Depensier. It is the story of The Tragically Hip, so it stars The Tragically Hip, Rob Baker, Gord Sinclair, Johnny Faye, Paul Lenoir, and Gord Downey. It's the documentary about their 2016 national tour that The Tragically Hip took across Canada. Originally, it was intended to be a tour for their 14th studio album, but very quickly turned into something else. The band's lead singer, Gord Downey, was diagnosed with inoperable brain cancer, so the tour 
turned into a coast-to-coast -coast farewell for five artists and their fans. Long Time Running is the document of that farewell. I want to start before the beginning. We're going to save the little pop quiz hotshot for a little bit later on in this conversation. Wow, okay. Breaking the mold today. Um, we're both fans of this band. Yes. And uh, I wanted to start before the beginning and ask, when did this band enter your life? I can remember waiting to buy Road Apples. Okay. So that's 91. So sometime probably late 89. Really? I would say, yeah. Do you remember how? Like, do you remember? Yeah, I remember exactly how. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I worked in a in a restaurant, um, like an ice cream parlor type restaurant, like a like a Dairy Queen kind of thing. Uh, no seating inside. It was like a pull up restaurant, okay. right? And one side was ice cream, one side was burgers and fries and, and stuff. So um, the the owner of this was a thirty something guy. Um, Maybe he was in the late 20s even. I don't know. And I remember he came in to work one day, and he had went to Brantford, which was the closest city to me, and he had saw this band play. And he was like, I saw this band last night play in Brantford, um, and they're called The Tragic Lap. And, like, they blew my mind. I don't think that they have long, though, because this singer looks like he is, um, you know, friends with the devil right now. <laughs> like you know, perhaps a heroin junkie or something. Right, like, right. But he looks as though... He described them the way they get described now. Like, they were a bar band that was, like, tight as tight as anything, but they had this enigmatic Jim Morrison-style frontman uh, who was a poet, and, and you know, <laughs> I've managed to get my hands on that concert footage. And the songs they play at that concert, you know, uh, undermine his sort of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Yet... Yeah, again, contextually, like I can imagine how blown away he was seeing them live because that would have been in like a little 50 seat dive, you yeah, know, and he yeah. got to see this band that filled ACC Center, you know. That was back when they were still very much on their way up. Right? Oh, yeah. Like this, yeah. you know, we're talking that that era would have been like their, their third album, which in Canada, your third album really still has you playing really small, especially in the late 80s, early 90s, yes. has you playing very small spaces. But this right. is up to here, so it's their first album. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, man. Yeah. And, and, so, and so when you were anticipating Road Apples, you would have been... Um, gosh. Oh, well. 91. Um, 91. I was 17 years old. Okay. So, yeah. So they came in around there. Yeah. You know, for me, um, nobody, I don't have the story. I, I, I have a lot of stories of people introducing me to bands. Um, and for what it's worth, I, I, all of those people, um, will always have a special place in my heart because they were the person who introduced me to fill in the blank. I don't have that person with the tragically hip, unfortunately. Um, I have a person who told me about like one of their songs coming. Um, but they broke um, fully completely this, the, the autumn that I went into high school. That was a great and that era of time like was that was kind of the beginning of my musical education. Yeah. Um, my, my last few years of, of being a, a what is now a tween at the time would have been a preteen was actually mostly um, classic rock and oldies on, on my parents' education. Um, when I got to high school, I was then all getting into all of the modern stuff. Like that was when alternative and grunge was exploding in, in Canada. You had bands like Bare Naked Ladies that were doing some cool things yep. and fully completely fell almost exactly. So the, the 
September I started high school was when Fully Completely arrived. Wow. And um, Courage was what got me into them because you had that amazing opening chords, that amazing chord progression. And that was kind of, that was very much who I was at the time, that kind of straight up no prisoners rock. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And it was, a, it was a great little soundtrack for all of that. I, I didn't actually get my mitts on a copy until until a little bit later on, but that they were... Very much my, my, my high school story. Like, like that one, Trouble at the Hen House and Day for Night were all during my high school years. Um, so so that was when, yeah. So, you know, if you can pick a time to come into somebody's life, to, to come into them in their teenage years um, yeah. is, is really important. So, of course, that brings us, that was the past, which brings us to the recent present, uh, or the recent past, I guess. Um, and this moment of time that this film documents, this this year-long tour and news and experience for a country um, that is now captured on film. So you, we, we lived through it. It's kind of a weird thing to live through a moment and then watch the film on that moment. Uh, what were your thoughts on, like, your general thoughts on Long Time Running? On the, on the film itself? Film, yeah. Uh, you know, I was so excited when I saw the trailers because they started showing trailers for this film gosh, they started showing them in like February or, or discussing it, yeah. right? And I don't think the trailer was uh, very fleshed out. I think it was just, you know, still images of their face with the with the the song playing mm. and them jamming on the on the stage. And I remember just being like, here, let me back up a, a half step. Sure. The tragic they have a, and you can vouch for this or not, they have, to me, a, a pretty poor track record of visual representation their music videos were by and large just okay okay uh you know in an era of music videos being everything yeah you know the the foley era and the road apples era and the day for night their videos were pretty terrible yeah and um i remember when i bought the their their tour album uh, or their tour diary called hex and kettle um that was that was something that i was so looking forward to and it was just okay so, to me, I saw these trailers and I was like, this is the chance now, finally, for this band to be captured on celluloid the way I think they should be captured. Yeah. And so I sat in my chair in the light box at TIFF uh, and I watched the film and everybody was very sad. Um, he, he hadn't passed away yet, but, but we hadn't heard from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the gala was the night before. He was the only one of the four who did not show up. Right. So to me, that was saying something's you know he, he's not well. Yeah. The credits rolled, and I texted my cousin when I got into the film and said, "I got a ticket to see because it was a tough ticket to get." Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, there was tons available. And it turns out the reason there were tons available because it was opening at Young and Dundas the next uh, day. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> I texted my cousin I was going in so as soon as I turned on my phone after the film there's a text from her what did you think so my immediate reaction which I don't like having to spill like two seconds after a film but my immediate reaction was I like this band a lot yeah had it not been about this band mm. I don't know that it was I love documentaries as well yeah and I don't know that it was a really great documentary mm-hmm. um, it was a it was a it, it, it held up because I was really interested in this story. Mm-hmm. For your listeners out there that are going to you know, look for this, um, it's not Searching for Sugarman. It's not some kind of monster. There's, there's no twists. There's no turns. We're, we, you don't really get a story 
you know, there's there's nothing accidentally amazing that happens to these filmmakers where they're documenting something and then something occurs and they get to, you know, tell a whole different story. Um, it's, it's like the band. Mm-hmm. It's technically proficient. It's tight. And, uh, you know, it's 4-4, it's rock and roll, you know? Well, That's what I thought. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you're, you're actually kind of skipping ahead to Pop Quiz Hot Shot, which oh. was going to be, is, is, in fact, does this film do enough for non-fans of the band? Because I have said many, many times that the mark of any kind of music documentary, whether it's something just to go along with a record as a visual piece or you mean it as a commercial project of its own before during or after before during or after a artist's career um sometimes even their lives is are you just looking to tell their story for their fans or are you looking to create something that you want to stand on its own great in my mind the best doc the best music documentaries are something other the best even if they are memorials of a person's work so one of the most amy amy is a perfect example of that because i think amy's a fantastic film amy really goes deep into the nuts and bolts of this woman absolutely and her approach to art which actually made me appreciate her approach to her work of course far more yeah my mother could i could put that on and watch it with my mother and we could both enjoy it yes for different reasons yes yeah um and i don't think long time running does that i'm like you i i I loved it as a fan i i had my i had my moment of catharsis as a fan yes and i enjoyed seeing some of the moments that we saw on television seeing some of the moments we didn't see on television going down that memory of my my youth and and the band that I, i used to love but it it's really difficult for me to say to just my mom you know, who actually has been asking about Gordowney and the Tragically Hip since he passed away, but to say to her, yeah, watch this, because she may zone out after a little while because the film, as a film, doesn't do enough. No. Which is unfortunate. It has a bit of an identity crisis. Is it just a concert film? Is it like, uh, I, I went and saw the Pearl Jam one. What's it called? Um, uh, we'll Play Two? or Oh, yeah, Let's uh, Play Two. Let's Play Two, I saw that, and that's like pretty much a straight-ahead concert film. There's which, is, some, which there's nothing wrong with there's that. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no. some great little interstitial stuff, but that's what it is. And this one is a concert film, but there's this elephant in the room the entire time. There's this story, you know? And they, I think, because of their relationship with the band, maybe, the, the documentarians, mm-hmm. I think they're, I think they protect them a little, a little bit. I think so, too. I noticed, I noticed that a little bit with, um, you know, you mentioned Pearl Jam. I noticed that a little bit with PJ20. For sure. PJ20, Cameron, Cameron Crowe, Crow, yeah. who is, you know, he might as well be a part of the band. Yes. And that documentary came along, and it was a two-hour documentary about their, this band's 20-year career. Yes. They spent an hour and 40 minutes on the first 10 years. Yeah. And then skirted past That's the back right. 10. And like, That's right. Stuff happened in that back 10. That band stopped selling records. That band kind of stopped making records at a, cer- at a certain moment. They were still out there playing live. They all went off and did solo things. What happened in there? Because I know that, la- I know that first 10 backwards and forwards. You know, why did you skirt that? I, I had that moment with Long Time Running. I, you know, it's, I don't believe for a hot second that this tour was nothing but smooth road. There is no earthly way that there wasn't a day or a moment or an, even an hour where they thought, Gord is not good today. 
you right. know, or we just had we had this problem. They they go through that a lot early on. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, what looks to be iPhone footage of the first, the rehearsal, first rehearsal, yeah, you know, it stands out remarkably in this movie because it's the only time where we really feel like a fly on the wall. Yeah, and watch a guy who has been iconic in Canadian rock for thirty years struggle to do what he does effortlessly. You yeah. Know? Um, there's nothing else like that. Well, there's even there's there's a couple things I want to comment sure. on, on what you just said. Uh, the first one is I, I believe that the footage right before that is him with his big beard and he's just sort of he can barely walk and yeah. he's he's sort of and then it cuts to that like it, it's again there's a few months that went by there his recovery from the chemotherapy or or you know the um, lobectomy that he has and, and all this kind of stuff to that first to that first thing. There's also, um, they interview Paul Langlois, and they've got it on footage. They've got them doing uh, Escape is a Hand for the Traveling Man. And Paul Langlois is like, no, 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 I don't think uh, we would have started with that one because that's a really tricky song, you yeah. know? So there, there, there are a lot of different things like that. There's a, there's a moment, too, where, where Rob Baker says, um, we've never rehearsed before mm-hmm. on tour, and this time we were doing two rehearsals per show. Yeah. And I, I would have loved either the documentarians to ask that next question which is how'd that make you feel yeah uh or show us the footage of him examining that a little further like what maybe they did ask him that i don't know because he almost he says it in a way that there's a little bit of tone there and and i i you know like i know i'm not trying to like say that there's a you know any wedges between this band at all but rob baker is also the one in the film that talks about um they really wanted to avoid this band being Gordy, Gordy, Gordy. And it's like, dude, you've been in this band for 30 years. Like, this band is absolutely Gordy, Gordy, Gordy. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, we love you all. Yeah. But we love Gordy a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's uh, terrible to say. But no, it, uh, it's, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, it, it, he's, it, it's, it's, it's frontman syndrome, right? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's like, you know, name me, name me the, name me the drummer off of most of your favorite bands. Right. And you have a hard time. Um, it's funny that you mentioned Baker because Baker is also the one who says, I didn't think we were going to be able to do this. Yes. You know, yes. Baker is the one who admits full out yeah. this tour is going to, have a catastrophic moment and there are going to be a lot of fans with their iPhones up and catch it. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about that for a minute, please. Let's talk with Gord about that Yeah. for a minute, please. It's, you know, when they're recording this film, it's done. Like, you can tell that they're all talking about it in hindsight. Yeah. They're not talking about it as they go along. Guys, like, let, let's get into this. It's not, it, it, it's not going to be your legacy. Your legacy is this triumphant moment, but of what course. happened out there because... That, to me, the fight to get there, to land this thing that nobody thought you could do. Right. I mean, I, I, I hate to express doubt, but when I found out that this lead singer had inoperable brain cancer and they wanted to go out there and perform whatever it was, 20 dates across Canada, I'm thinking, he's going to have a really hard time remembering lyrics. They removed the part of his brain that is long-term memory. Yeah. And emotional, um, like, like distilling Res- emotion. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. and that's what he is on stage. Yeah. And so that that to me is where this film falls short. It's certain, like you know, if, if this was a bittersweet goodbye, yeah. they 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 revel in the sweet, but they don't spend a whole lot of time on the bitter. Nothing in the bitter. Really. You know, and and that that to me is really unfortunate because I think it was kind of the only kick 
that you're going to get at something like this. Yeah. This is not a band like the Beatles that are going to have 500 different re-examinations exactly. of their career. You know, right. you, you've, you're pretty much going to have this and maybe come back to it in 10 or 20 years if somebody really wants to. Yeah. But I don't think they will. So that that's that's kind of the unfortunate part of this. There's only, from what I can gather, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's only one set of footage for each of the five band members. Like it looks as though yeah, there's yeah, there's one setup. Yeah, yeah. Like they don't, including Gord, including well, Gord. No, Gord. They they follow Gord because they follow Gord when he's like getting ready. No, but in terms of formal interviews, though, I mean, like the 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 documentarians. Oh yeah, having a formal interview with the band members. Yeah. There's like there's one sit down for each for each yeah we see the same background like uh, Paul uh, Paul Engel was on that couch in that office yeah. and so was Johnny Fay uh, Gord is wearing his leather jacket or his uh, uh, his Canadian tuxedo there yeah yeah his <laughs> denim, denim jacket sitting in a studio of some sort and that's it like so maybe they needed to gather a bit more footage or again maybe they were I don't know there, there's a lyric that I called from the from the titular song yeah which is long time running uh, and the lyric is it's a safe mistake. Yeah, and yeah, and I hate to say that this film is a safe mistake, but it's a safe mistake. Like it could have been. It's still like you said. I think you really put it really well. The, it was a triumph. They got to go out on their own terms. Like holy crap! Like yeah. that was amazing. Yeah, the documentary wasn't going to um, taint or tarnish their legacy or reputation. No. if it did have a little bit of that bitter in there. Like the, the thing about it is, it I I, I respect them so deeply mm-hmm. for doing this because there's no way it was easy. Right. No earthly way was this easy. Like they, they talk about how they had an EMT team on site every night just for Gord. Yes. Right. They have an EMT team that's on for everybody on the stage, and then a whole bunch of other people roving the house. But they had a team of specialists that followed this group just for Gord. Yeah. You know that is when you that is when you know that you are in very very uncharted waters yeah. when you're doing a tour and you've got a medical team just for one guy. You know let, let's let's really guys let's get into this because if nothing else, it will raise the legacy of what you did if you if you show just how hard it was. Yes. It's over now. Right? Yeah. If they had if we had been talking about this at the time, there would have been a lot of hand wringing, a lot of kind of, you know, whispers at the party of whether or not this should be even be happening. But it's done. Let's let's really look at it and see what we did. Um, and, and, you know, I say we because the one thing that I do like about this film that um, a lot of people who may be listening this far uh, or may not may just skip the show because they don't even know is this is a nation's rock band. Yeah. And near as I can think no other country in the world has a band like this. Certainly maybe, not in the states. Maybe Ireland with you too. Maybe they've they've kind of turned on yeah. you too. That, but for fair. a long time, yeah, that would right. that would have been it. But it's where where it gets it for me is this is a nation's rock band that outside the borders of this nation are more or less an unknown. Absolutely, these guys would go to the states and they would play a theater that would hold maybe a thousand people, and and six hundred fifty of them would be. Uh, Friends and Canadians, yeah, 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 exactly. So you know, I, I think that that is one thing I do like about this movie is that it captures a band, it captures the country, and and them saying goodbye. You know, which you don't. You, I, I've never seen that in a movie. No, where a band is saying goodbye to an entire country. The the movie has one trick, and the one trick is to show the band for a while, 
then show the fans for a while. Yeah. And go back and forth and back and forth. And it plays that trick over and over. And fans are crying and fans are dancing and fans are singing. And it, sh- it really shows that relationship and how those fans are just normal workaday Canadians. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you're, we're, we are those people. I didn't, I didn't get for to see sure. this tour. I, I went, yeah. Did you go? I did. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, it was... St- I, I mean, I've seen this band. Um, that, w- that was my 19th time seeing them. Wow. So, uh, most of that time was in, the, was in the 90s and early 2000s. Sure. Um, I took a pretty big break. Went to see them on their fully completely retour, and then and then saw this, and it was heart wrenching and emotional, and uh, some you know maybe there's a bit of that. Maybe there's no way this movie could have ever lived up to the experience of seeing no. the concert live. Okay, um, and we didn't even know he was he was you know they said inoperable cancer, but it's like we've got him for another ten years, you know, yeah. or we've got him for another five years. Yeah, and then that that crappy day in October when all of a sudden he was just gone. Yeah. You know, um, and we've got access to this film. I want this film to be more impact. I want to be able to put this film on, and I, I want to to get a sense of what I felt that night. And and it doesn't have that, and that's unfortunate because they were with them the entire time. And and you're right. Um, you know, capturing some of the tougher moments, like that moment where maybe Gord didn't want to wake up the next morning. He was, you know, he was just exhausted or whatever. A little bit of footage of that, something to cast some doubt. Uh, again, I think a lot of great documentaries are either films that, you know, non-fans can watch as well, or there is this little thing that happens and all of a sudden you've got a story. And It's a lot of luck. Yeah. Right? It's a lot of being in the right place at the right time in this in this movie and i just can't imagine it all went off as perfectly no as it was shown but i mean so, so like in this movie um one of their one of their tour producers talks about how he was working really really hard with to, uh with prompters yeah. to keep gord yes. lyrically in tune because i mean gord would stray at the best of times like yeah. the, the, one, the, the one thing that was really awesome was gord would just babble yeah right yeah. <laughs> So that's why you went to see them live because yeah, you didn't know what you were didn't know what he was going to say. No, so so keeping so keeping him on point was was always difficult. And the tour producer talks about how he was doing the lyrics for a song called "Music at Work," which just ends with the line "Music at work, music at work, music at work" over and over and over for the last you know sixteen bars. And Gord would tune him and say, "What's that song called again?" And meaning it fully, like not joking, like meaning it full proper. That 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 to like that anecdote was is, is heartbreaking. Yeah. It's unfortunate there there wasn't a camera in that moment. Yeah. Because if that moment just played, you would have oh, been wow. like, oh, son of a bitch. Yeah. You know? But that that's it, it's it's unfortunate. I do appreciate um that they tried to yeah. get that to get that mood. Because like you said, like you are you are one lucky son of a bitch that you managed to go to that show. Because I like I think about the greatest shows I've ever seen. And how there's always this intangible that makes the show something incredible, and uh, it, it's not—it's not the same as just this is a farewell tour, right? Right. This was this was a lot of people had that moment where they thought this is probably the last time I'm going to hear this person's voice. Absolutely, you know, you know? absolutely. What I thought. Yeah. Um, now you know you, you you went there. Does this movie take on a new context over the last month now that Gord's gone? Oh gosh! Uh, because you watched it back in September, and I, you watched it again for this show, right? 
Yeah, I've seen it three times. Okay, Jesus. Yeah. Um, you, but that's what I'm saying. In between time one and time two and three, we lost Mr. Downey. Yeah. Does this now mean something different? Well, it does, because, you, man, you, you see him on stage, and, again, what I said to you a moment ago was they said he had inoperable cancer. I figured we had him for a few more years. Yeah. Um, but he knew. I think he knew how sick he was. I think he was the only person, maybe him and his brother, who's in the film a lot. And I wish he was in more because he really tells a good story with his, with like an emotional story with his face. He is, he is so sad. You mm-hmm. can just see it. And he was by his brother's side, you know, through the whole thing. Um, yeah, I think that you're watching this film and, and it's, this band doing what they've done for 30 years, it's no different than what they've done for 30 years. Yeah. Except for this time, he's got, you know, the weight of the world on his back. Mm-hmm. He's got, he's carrying, um, gosh, the other four guys to a certain degree up that mountain. And, and they're doing their best to support their brother and comrade. And But boy, oh boy, he couldn't have known what he was getting into, even though... That's all they've done for 30 years when the, when they started out in, Vic, in Victoria. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have known what a toll it would take on his body. I mean, they do three-hour shows, yeah. you know, and he gives it 100%. Mm-hmm. For you and I, we would be exhausted. We, yeah. would be, we would be brutalized. This is a guy who was, you know, lost a third of his brain yeah. and was going through radiation therapy and God knows what drugs he was on. So it, 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 it doesn't have a choice but to take on a different context. Um, it's sad. It, it, you watch it, and it is, it is heartbreaking. It's, um, it's funny, because on, on, on the one hand, it is. On the other hand, I also think to myself, it's very joyous. This is something where, if, this, if this was me, yeah. right? And certainly, if I, like, if, if I was thinking about it this way, of I'm really sick and I can just I can do any number of things we can just put out this record and call it a day we can do one last show in Kingston and that you know probably everybody will we're gonna have one great big party and call it a day um, or or we can just kind of try to carry on to act to say that we want to, that I want to enjoy this like we you know we've, we've reached this point in life where we now call uh, funerals and memorials, a celebration of life. Yeah, you know, which it's a wonderful thing that that's what that is becoming. But at the same time, it's it's really kind of trying to to shine something that still really sucks. Um, this is what this was, and this is what this movie and this moment is is a celebration of Gord's life, right down to and they they do spend some time on it, right down to how he's dressed. Okay. Anybody who had seen this band for more than five minutes knows what they tend to look like. Yeah. You know, Gord will sometimes wear a jacket. More often than not, they, they, they wear the kind of clothes that they would wear just walking up and down the street. Gord Downey is always going to be the most ostentate, uh, ostentatious in this band. Yeah. Nothing like what we saw. No, no. He does not wear fancy hats. He does not <laughs> wear lame pants. He, you know... <laughs> 
you just not turn socks into scarves and wear them. And I'm like, you know what? On the, I, I, I love you, sir, that you decided that this is how you're going to go. They just like, you know what? I am not just going to have some little somber Irish wake. We are having a Mardi Gras parade. That's to very bury good. my ass. That's great. You know, and that, that to me is 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 the change in context is that I see this guy who was hanging on. Right, really hanging on, and and decided this is how I want to go. Oh, you, yeah, you've, yeah, you've convinced me. What I said, please edit that out. No, no, I mean it's it's like it's it's, it's one of the, it's, it's a lot of the, it's a lot all at once. Who right? want, but who wouldn't want to be a band that gets to go out on their own? You know, like I mean, on their own um, terms. Terms. Yes, yeah. thank you very much. There's a moment in the film where he's just going back to the outfits. Yeah. Where he's putting one on, and he's you know he's I think I'm gonna go with the purple one today. Yeah. He's, he's looking in the mirror, and he's just like. I just wanted to feel cool. <laughs> and, and only he could, you know, there's a lyric from one of his songs, like, what a real bomb's eye for clothes. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you are not a bomb. You are not a bomb tonight, sir. You are a pimp. <laughs> yes. like, I don't even, you know, like, this is bonkers what you're uh, It's It's amazing because, I mean, it's, this is a guy who generally throughout his career was not what I would call a visual icon. No. And in his final moments, he, he created this iconic persona of himself. Yes. You know, it's like, I'm going to, not only am I going to go out, but I am finally going to be Mick Jagger while I'm on my way out. I have not had any interest in doing that my entire career, but yeah. now, oh man. Um, you know, it, it's, this is why I like talking about a movie like this is that while I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily going to push everybody towards it. Um, it does give a lot to talk about and a lot to think about. Um, I think of a person, if they don't know anything about this band and their relationship to Canada, I, I do think that this is a good way to kind of get it. Um, I would hope that if nothing else, it would send them down a very deep rabbit hole of their music because while I do believe it's a flawed film, um, I certainly think it's worth seeing if you don't, if you know nothing, you know nothing about them at all this is kind of a cool entryway as flawed as it is yeah no i think you're right yeah you know uh, but i will tell any listener who does go out i mean this is a man who's suffering from a very terrible disease uh his voice is so much um his know, voice is shot and I his mean, voice is shot his voice tour. was shot for a while yeah like that, that's that's the thing as gore got older his voice did not age very well so if you're wondering why we're going crazy for with a guy those who, big hip classics though because the record that he released 10 days after he died yeah is, is beautiful yeah. and brilliant and haunting yeah so th that's you know if you're if you are wondering what's up like you know do a spotify dive yes. do, do an itunes dive on the essential playlist yeah whatever, it's just, you know because because their music is fantastic when yeah. he was more on his game there's yeah. a lot of rock stars age yeah. out of their voices um we end every review here on the matinee cast with a souvenir something tangible or intangible if you could take away from this movie and keep what would it be jamie do what is your souvenir from a long time running am i allowed to have two sure okay so the first one would be uh just because i want a mystery solved the person who made his hats mm. uh, she says at one point she's like i took lyrics from my two favorite songs mm -hmm. and put them on a silk silk doily or whatever yeah and put them inside the hat i yeah. want to know what those lyrics are yeah i can't quite see it when i when i pause it yeah but the real one that i want to take uh the, the one that i want to take is uh, Gord Downey has a, a bit of a ritual when it comes to um, going on stage, and there's a moment in the film where they show some of his ritual, which is uh, shining his shoes. Mm. And there's something just really wonderful about him describing that this is something that his you know, father taught him, and he's done this every night that he's ever been on the road, is he shines his shoes. And 
nobody's looking at your shoes, Gord. They're they're looking <laughs> at you. They're looking at those you know beautiful eyes and those pearly whites and just listening to your you know amazing ramblings. But uh, if I could if I could you know have a habit that I borrow from you, um, I'm speaking you know to the sky right now. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a really cool kind of thing. That's an attention to detail that we just don't necessarily do anymore, and I love it. Yeah. Um, you kind of stole mine and that is that I want the hat. Yeah. Um, you know, I said it before, I'll say it again. This is a band that was not about iconography and in their final moments, he assigned Canadian iconography. I don't know if there is a Canadian rock and roll hall of fame, but I, I would suspect that if there is, and when there is that hat would have a place of honor in it. Got to, right? Um, whoever's got that hat, take damn good care of it because there were several, but it was the white one that kind of became, that's the one, right? With the lyrics on it. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And, and, even just watching her make it. Like, I've never watched somebody make a hat. Me neither. You know? It's so cool. Um, the other thing that I would take away from this movie, and it was actually the moment that, um, along with the hat, kind of broke me, was listening to Trudeau's remarks about the final night in Kingston. Yeah. And, you know, we started this movie, we started this conversation by talking about how this is a band of a nation. I, again, can't think of very many countries whose heads of state talk about one particular band like no. I, you know if I, I could imagine an american president talking deeply about an american president not the one we have right now talking deeply about somebody like bob dylan sure you know I, I can imagine what whoever is in charge of england will say when mick jagger goes yeah you know that that kind of thing but it, it, it's so rare and so few between that's the closest probably analog the fact that mick and keith have both been knighted yeah you know yeah. what i mean like like i think gord was given an order of canada yeah. which is similar so to listen to justin trudeau talk about gord downey and i mean even if you again I, I if i can find a clip of it i'll include it in the show notes but l- go find trudeau's comments after Dord Ed downey passed away because it really um you know it re- really really crystallizes this band's relationship with their country and their fans and while we're both saying it's a flawed movie, it's it's. I guess what we're, we were hoping is that people who listen to this that have no idea who we're talking about, that we can be, to bring it full circle, that we can be that person that introduces you to a band and says, go listen to this. You know, if I, I, I think that would be the greatest joy I could have um, today and this month and this year is if, if anybody listening to this has never heard of the tragically hip and I can be the person to introduce you to them, I will consider it the best thing that has happened to me this year. So, um, we rate here on the matinee cast as hard as it is to rate a movie like this. Um, Jamie do on a scale of one to four stars. What do you give long time running? Well, I gave it two and a half. Okay. And I gave it two and a half because I couldn't like to be three is a pretty good review. Yeah. And just my flaws with the actual genre. Yeah. You know, um, I just couldn't go there. Yeah. Uh, but, to give it a two, I felt two was fifty percent, and yeah, no. I think it was more successful than that. It's a, it, it. You know what? I, I like that it's put us into this strange position that we're saying, watch it, do watch it, but watch it even though we're saying there's this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. We're, we're saying still, just go with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, and, I, and I'm actually on two and a half as well. It, it's a flawed movie. Could have been much better if they'd done some things different, and I think that that moment is gone. Um, but at the same time, I'm very happy that it exists. So I do want people to see it 
so much somewhat um but there we go hey listen maybe you think we're both nuts maybe you think we're being really hard on this movie and it's incredible uh or maybe you think it's a piece of shit and we're being you know too blind to bar a fandom let me know ryan at the matinee.ca twitter where i'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee what do you think of long time running we are going to turn the record over and play the other side right after this so come on back we'll talk about some more movies We'd like to do a podcast now if we could it explores the realm of catharsis my arse is capable of more flush and adolescence in essence is all about trust it's matt and acast 187 he's jamie dew i'm ryan mcneil we've been talking about long time running if you recognize those lines good on you if not i didn't write them uh, we were talking about long time running the documentary about the tragically hip it invites all kinds of comparison of uh, follow-up films you could go see, other movies, uh, better movies. Uh, Mr. Dew, when you thought about Long Time Running and further reading that people could do, uh, what did you come up with? Okay, so the first one that I, I came up with a couple here. Yeah. So the first one is, uh, I spoke about it earlier, it's a, it's a film that was done by Gord's brother. Um, and it was documented the roadside attraction tour that they went on in 1993. Mm-hmm. So the first another roadside attraction tour. Uh, it came out um, the fall of '93, uh, and uh, it's called Hex and Kettle. Okay. And I don't think it ever came to to DVD. Really? Know. I think it was VHS only. Oh crap! Uh, I had it on VHS. Now maybe now it has. I'm not sure. Um, this is a movie that documents it holds a special place for me because it documents that tour which was the first tour i saw them on i saw them on my 19th birthday Mm. uh, july 24th um 1993 and it 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 changed the game for me like it absolutely changed the game the movie is pretty just okay yeah uh unfortunately again this is a band that is enigmatic and they just must be tough to capture the way we want to capture them Nevertheless, there's some really great moments from that tour that, you know, very rarely when you go see a tour or when you go see a show, do you get that moment one year, two years, ten years afterwards to, like, revisit it. And those moments, those those things that, you know, we, we create indelible memories of little snippets and phrases. And this movie has that in, in, in spades for me. Mm-hmm. Very few other people are going to enjoy it, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Hexaco. I mean, it's a hard thing at the end of the day to capture a concert. I mean, every trick that a filmmaker could pull to translate one art form into another is by nature obtrusive to the audience of art form number one. Sure. You yeah. know, it's it, like I've seen it. Um, I remember seeing it with the... Um, the behind the scenes for um, there's a, another one of those concert DVDs. There's U2's 2001 show in Boston. Okay. And they talk. Uh, they, they I you know this is back when I would get a DVD and go through all course, the features yeah. and spend a day and you know do all that kind of bullshit that died when we got rid of physical right. media. And they talk about actually the filming of the show, 
and how filming it, knowing that they were going to create the concert film of the show. That's the heart stage tour, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, how those two things were at odds. Like everything from the lighting design to the fans experience was at odds with what was required and needed to visually capture it. And they're like, at the end of the day, we still have people who are paying a lot of money to be here. Yes. And we want to document this, but it's if it's coming at the expense of those people, that's not fair and we don't really want to do that. Right. So, you know, when you say Hex and Kettle, when you say is is only okay, and, you know, we talk about all of these, like, great performances that we were at that weren't really captured in a visual sense, it's because by nature it really is at odds. So I think, if nothing else, I would love people to see Hex and Kettle and see this band kind of in their, like, very much in their prime. Definitely you know, that, that era for them, you know, like 92 to about 96. Yeah. Uh, even though they, they had great stuff after that, but that little era of time. Yeah. Is, is, is really when they were at their time. Yeah. Um, you know, now, now speaking of that, speaking of movies where a filmmaker really mapped out what they wanted to do and of a band that was saying goodbye, my immediate connection for this was the last waltz. Of course. Yeah. Um, Martin Scorsese movie, 1978, um, you know, it's kind of near and dear to me because that was the year I was born. Um, capturing the final performance by the band. Absolutely. And within that film, Scorsese actually shows you charts that he's got laid out for every song and every break of how he intends to capture the film and, and, and how he's got cameras here and cameras there and cameras here. And it's it's funny because at the time and still, it's it's kind of considered the concert documentary it's like right up there with woodstock yes but people watch it now they're like really well why it's like well because you seamlessly and cinematically captured something special when it's so difficult to do and even then there's a moment where they kind of stumble over each other and miss something well how often do you get like a a cinematic like virtuoso like like making a film like that in his early career too like this is this is him he's you know who's that knocking at my door was late 60s so he's only been like 10 years on the scene um taxi driver was only two years in the rear view he hadn't done raging bull yet uh you know i think what he was born he turned 75 this week so he would have only been 35 at the time right right and and, and he's the guy you're entrusting to capture your last show it's Rock and roll is a weird thing because I don't think a lot of these guys see it as certainly not anymore. Maybe maybe once upon a time, I don't really think they see it as something finite. Hmm. You know, they they and and it, it's because it's got this poetry to it and this romance to it that it's always going to go and it's always going to be there. And because we're now in the fourth or fifth generation of people and here, you know, clinging to rock and roll. Really, there, there, yeah, there is this idea that it has a longer shelf life than it used to. You know, in the fifties and sixties and seventies, they thought this is, you know you guys are all going to be burnt out by the time you hit thirty-five and forty years old. Now it's like no, we're just going to we're going to keep on going until we can't stand each other or the wheels fall off. Absolutely. Well, you, you talked earlier about Pearl Jam Twenty. When that movie came out, there was a great uh, companion piece that was all about the fact that like bands used to hide how long you know like the stones yeah. certainly weren't bragging at 15 years no because that that made you old yeah and you didn't want to be old no and now it's like hey we've been a band for 25 years yeah bands so on tour and touring an album that's 30 years old or whatever yeah so that like that's the thing is that how both of these movies are a band saying farewell yes. right um and you know the band though the one at the center of the lost wall last waltz they did it in one night 
they're like, we're, we're coming to this show and then we're just going to fire the gun empty and that's that. That's it. Um, the hip decided, well, we can do that, but we'll stretch it out for a few months. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because in hindsight, I am, it's, it, it is interesting that one act made it about a whole bunch of other people who they played with and had influenced them and the hip just, the hip probably could have invited anybody they wanted to. The, the hip could have invited the entire CanCon Rolodex to play with them in Kingston, but they decided, no, 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 we need this to be about us. They got beat to the punch by Strombo. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, obviously, you've seen The Last Waltz. Uh, I have, yes. And, and, and you dig? You don't dig? You don't care? Need to rewatch. I oh. have been zapped with electricity, and my brain has been, uh, I've been hit in that same lobe that Gord had removed, and a lot of my memory is gone. So, well, I mean, like, the, the cool thing is, I, I have always said, this this is the benefit of that, okay? All right, hit me. I'm, I'm, I am... I need to hear this because it doesn't ever feel beneficial. I am, I, am a, I am a person who believes in a silver lining. Okay. And the silver lining is this. I, for a long time, when it comes to the films nobody has seen yet, you know, the, the, the tendency is to say, what's wrong with you? How can you say you haven't seen Citizen Kane? Or how can you say you haven't seen Gone with the Wind? Or you haven't seen The Last Waltz? I say, you know what? In this moment, I am deeply jealous because you get to go, you get to see Psycho or you get to see Persona for the first time. And I never got that. So you, Mr. Do, get to see The Last Waltz again, very much like it was the first time. That is amazingly rare and a wonderful thing. Oh, very cool. Okay. So. Well, you know, we'll have to reconvene after you watch it and you you enjoy some of that music. Um, what other movies came to mind when you were thinking of further reading for? Okay, uh, this is a deep this is a deep dive. Let's, let's do this? it. Yeah, let's go. It's not the film isn't a deep dive, but, but, but my, my getting there is a okay. Deep okay. Dive. I think that the Tragically Hip is a wonderful band. Okay. I think that Gordani is an amazing lyricist and vocalist. I think their secret weapon in this band is Paul Langlois. Okay. And his background vocals. I think that the stuff that he adds to the songs in, I don't even know how you can describe his voice. It's haunting. It's, it's, it's nasally and it's above gourd from a pitch perspective. It's unusual. It's an instrument unto itself. It's almost like a, it's almost like a pedal steel guitar. It's got, it's weeping a lot of the time. It's ambient. It's very liquid. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, where, and very, counterpoint to gourds yeah but if you, okay I mean, if you want to hear two perfect examples of it one would be 50 mission cap sure uh is you know not necessarily um you know uh, emotional in that song but there's another great song that's like a an off track called get back again mm. where you really hear it okay and it's wonderful uh but it's there in every song and it's amazing so i thought you know the secret weapon the background vocals i thought um 20 feet from stardom which oh, is just such a phenomenal wow. okay. documentary about background singers, uh, in particular uh, some of the some of the singers that were session session singers in the late '60s, early '70s. That uh, there's a great moment where they do an ISO on um, the woman, and I forget her name right now, but the woman who sings. Um, give me shelter give me shelter oh my god it if if you watch this film and you hear her sing and every hair on your arm doesn't stand up then you shouldn't listen to music anymore i don't think like it's it's spectacular and um this film is just all about these unsung heroes uh 
that are literally 20 feet from stardom. Paul Langlois was not 20 feet from stardom. He was, you know, right there, you know, in the in the front with the band. But he certainly is an unsung hero. Um, Lisa Fisher, of the, who's currently backing the Stones right now, uh, is one of the people who's in that movie. Um, there's a great, she's got one of the greatest cuts in the whole damn movie because she actually, when she was trying to be a solo artist, uh, she won a Grammy. She, she is a Grammy winning singer who is, who is, you know, one of the people just to the side of the stage yeah. with the Rolling Stones and, and for like, for now, for like 20 something years, really? she's been touring with them. She's been touring with them for a while. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's been touring with them for at least as long as their current bassist. That's how long, you know, that's how long she's yeah. been going. And there's a great cut where it's got her winning her Grammy and it cuts to her in line at FedEx. It's, it's like, you know, this is the life of these people who add color, Absolutely. you know, to, to these songs. And that, that yeah, no, that, that's, that is, this is a documentary I talk about. That it's kind of the counterpoint of, of long time running where this is, you need to know nothing about these people, right? No, you yeah. don't need to care a lick about these songs, it's Agreed. but you realize what they bring to the equation, the equation on, and the art itself. That, that is, and, and yeah, like you said, Langlois really does that. He could have been, you know, he's a member of the band, so he's a little bit more front and center than a lot of these almost strictly women. Right. Are in this movie, but that that is a well, and right. they and they reveal in the film too. Long time running that Paul Langlois was actually before they added him to the band, he was quitting his job at Red Lobster, yeah, to go and move to Nashville to try and become a singer songwriter. So, like he had that in him. There was something there that was in him. I wonder if he's going to do that now. I don't know. It's really interesting because he's you know. I certainly hope he's not going to go work at Red Lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, um, you know we're on a musical kick here. Um, a fictional film that I thought about that this would actually go really well with is, uh, you know, you, you talked about um, Ireland earlier uh, with you too. Uh, the commitments. Okay. I, yeah. I thought is, 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 a, is a, would make a good pairing um, because it's, it's the counterpoint. It's not a band at the end. It's a band at its beginning and how it's beginning seems so promising for a while. It's a film that I actually think a lot of people haven't seen. It's uh, it kind of faded. It's now, at least 30 years old, I think, like 91, at least 91 thereabouts. Um, and it's, it's about a, an Irish soul band yeah. trying to make it and trying to make a go of bringing music to the masses. Um, there is comedy throughout. It is really, really funny. Um, if you are a fan of once or the frames or the swell season, uh, look for a really young Glenn Hensard. In this movie, he's the guitar player in the band. Really? With long, scraggly red hair. Oh, wow. Yeah, you can't miss him. He's 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 pretty front and center, and, and he's got lines and everything. And um, Yeah, the, the, the commitments, I think, as a band trying to make it, and a band, spoilers, that ultimately meets its end before the, the, before the movie is over, um, I think would make a great little counterpoint to Long Time Running as well. Also just, you know, Long Time Running is very much about the joy of music. Yes. And so is the commitment in, in, in discussion and in performance. It's very, very much a, a, a movie that's steeped in musical love. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I don't have much. I, I mean, much to add, to to add uh, again because it's a thirty year old movie, and I'm, you know, dealing with a noggy brain. Um, I, I couldn't add much more, even if I wanted to. But I do remember feeling 
um, really positive about the music they play in the film. Uh, I, it's all soul. Like it's all songs. Yeah. It's all songs you know. It's all in the midnight hour yes. and uh, you know try a little tenderness, hard to handle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like it, it's it's all songs you recognize. Otis Redding stuff. Otis, yeah. yeah, Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett. Um, yeah. lo- lots of great musical conversations as well. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. You know, it's kind of the, the opposite of if you've never heard of the Tragically Hip, watch this movie. Right. Watch The Commitments because you've heard of you've all the heard songs. all the songs. You yeah. Did you have any other uh, movies that came to mind or did we just fire the gun empty? Uh, I have one more. Let's go. Uh, and this is uh, about a, another Canadian band. And sure. um, it's a completely different look uh, at a Canadian band because whereas Long Time Running is watching a band, you know, go out on a high note, even though they had had a few years that they were out of the spotlight, mm-hmm. for example, yeah. uh, or per se. Uh, this movie is about a band that's never out of the spotlight with its with its core contingency, but they are out of the spotlight uh, just due to you know money and 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 you know luck and all, all the rest of it. And this is a, a film called Anvil: The Story of Anvil. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Which is an amazing documentary about this three piece band that are. Uh, a band, like a speed metal band from the early 80s that everybody thought was going to be Metallica mm-hmm. or Megadeth or that level. Yeah. And just all, it, you're watching it and it, you should almost watch it as a companion rather than a long time running with Spinal Tap because it's, it's, got a <laughs> lot, it's got a lot in common with this Spinal Tap. But this is real. Yeah. And this is a real Canadian band. And this is a Canadian band that's not getting the kind of love that the Tragedy Hip gets. It's obviously it's a very niche thing, but I just think it's a wonderful documentary. It's it's got a bit of everything. Again, the stuff that we've talked about today. Um, I'm certainly not a, a fan of that genre of music. Right. Um, I know a lot of other people that wouldn't be fans of that genre of music, but I would have no problem recommending that film to them because it's just. But that's okay. Again, you you hit right on exactly what I say. I am not a fan of this band, and I can still appreciate this film, even though I'm not even a fan of this music because it tells a good story. You're reminding me very much of um, Metallica, some kind of monster. I have a glancing relationship with Metallica, which is to say that any you know I've I've got same. I've, I've, I've seen them live, but I mean, they're not my band, but watching some kind of monster. Oh my God. Was I, was I deeply enveloped in that movie and watching that moment for those guys? Is it sick or wrong that you say Anvil and in my head, I always get them confused with FUBAR. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, FUBAR is a fictional documentary. Yeah, yes. I know. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. part of the problem. Um. <laughs> Honestly, if, if you were to go to somebody's house and they had this movie um, was playing when you got there and they they were mute, yeah, your friend is mute, and you just had to sit down and watch the film with them, you would think it's fictional as well, right? Because the first couple minutes of it, it's you know the lead singer in nineteen eighty two and he's on stage and he's just this strange looking man with that that curly long hair that all speed metal guys had yeah i don't know why uh, and he's making all sorts of faces and his tongue tongue is sticking out he's doing these crazy things with the guitar and it's intercut with like lars albert going anvil they're freaking amazing and and uh you know all these other like icons slash right you know best guitar work he's ever heard wow these people just touting them and saying how amazing they are you 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 think it's fiction because i've never really heard of anvil up there the more I watched it, the more I realized that I think I remember their like badge on some of my friends' 
backpacks in, okay, in the okay. day or whatever. But you saw like their their logo scribbled on like pencil yeah, cases. Yeah, right? exactly. But I was never. Uh, I don't do kids still I, do that. I don't know. Scribble logos on pencil cases. Do kids still carry pencil cases? Send your answers to. <laughs> I know the matinee cost. I'm definitely going to check out Anvil now, so thank you for that. Oh, yeah. um, and and that, uh, I think that's as good a note as any to end episode 187 of the matinee cast. A rather cathartic episode, I do. Yeah. I, I, I must say. Um, hey, come on back on Monday, December 4th for episode 188. I'm pretty sure we are going to be talking about three billboards outside of Ebbings, Missouri. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know when I sat down and did these show notes, but I'm pretty sure I'm locked into it now. Um, please look up back episodes of the do-over uh they age amazingly well because you're all you're talking about things that have happened already like i mean one of the things that's hard about my show is that i'm talking about new movies as they come out the do-over is evergreen exactly that's what i'm saying look at <laughs> look it up there will be links in the show notes um what's the, what's the page for you guys are over at modern superior aren't you if you would like you can find it at um www.thedoover.ca there we go and as mentioned before stay tuned Absolutely. If people do want to follow it or you on Twitter, where can they find either both? Uh, you can go to at Jamie Do You. Yeah, that's my personal one. I have the Do Over Twitter account as well. Um, and there's some other stuff bubbling up. So um, stay tuned. Stick around, please. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Google Play. You're welcome, Paolo. Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, or Apple's podcast app. Everything gives you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Long Time Running, The Tragically Hip, or any of the movies that we mentioned on the other side can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore ca, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Mr. Dew, D-E-W? It's been great to hang out with you again. It is always a pleasure, yeah. man. I, I, I really need to get you on more than more often than every three years. For Jamie, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. It's been a